You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's been a week of central bank pronunciations, so let's speak to John Stopford, who's the head of multi-asset income at 91 in London. We have to start with the Fed, if we can, John, because, I don't know, something doesn't quite ring true to me. I mean, I'm fairly simplistic. I see the US 10-year bond yield going up to, at one stage, 1.77% today. And on the other hand, Jay Powell, the chair of the US Federal Reserve, saying that he's not going to raise, or they are not going to raise interest rates until 2023. How can he come up with a number of 2023, which is two years hence? How can they say that? It doesn't ring true to me. Am I being too overcritical? Not really. I mean, I think it's a game of perception management. So I think the perception used to be that as soon as, um, you know, growth picks up after a a recession and as soon as, you know, um, things start to return to normal, the inclination of the Fed is to start tightening policy. And, And so markets came to believe that the Fed had an asymmetric bias. They would tighten quickly uh, and um, when inflation showed any sort of signs to, the, to the, the upside, but wouldn't necessarily cut as quickly when inflation was low. And, and so we've lived probably with two, two and a half decades of the Fed undershooting their sort of inflation target. Yes. Um, and, and this time around, they want to they want to change that perception. And so they're now talking about average inflation. They're talking about you know, wanting to get that average at 2% or, or slightly above. And, and, and that implies at some point they've got to live with inflation for a period above above 2%. And, and so the way that they're trying to persuade the market to believe them is by, you know, some fairly outrageous forecasts of very strong growth coming out of, of the COVID pandemic, uh, inflation going a bit above 2%, unemployment going down to 3.5%, but rates on hold. Uh, and I mean, there are two aspects to that. One is they're trying to shift perceptions. And I guess the other, which Powell said yesterday, is, you know, so far, those are just forecasts. And actually, you know, they, they, they want to see it. They want to see the whites of inflation's eyes um, before they do something rather than just assume it's going to happen because their, their forecasting record has tended to be too optimistic and, and broadly wrong. What do you see? I mean, when you see the numbers and when you see 1.9 trillion being injected into the market and record low interest rates and the world coming out of, I suppose, not coming out of a pandemic, but in a post-pandemic world, inflation will obviously pick up off, off a very low base. But is it going to be picking up uh, in the just in the short term because of this splurge of people that uh, really just want to go out and spend? Or will it be not only a short, but also a medium and a long-term phenomenon. What is your view on inflation? Well, I think the short term is guaranteed, partly because you've got things like oil prices bouncing from you know very weak levels a, a year ago, and then, as you say, you've potentially got you know activity picking up with su- supply maybe not keeping pace with that in in the short term. I think the Fed and ultimately markets really care about you know, what's happening in terms of the trend over over the medium term. And, you know, in, in recent years, we've lived in a very disinflationary world. We live, we've lived in a world where you've had aging populations, high levels of debt, high levels of inequality, uh, technological change, all of these things which have tended to depress inflation. Mm. But quite a lot has changed. And, and so it, to some extent, you can see why the Fed is sort of waiting for, for the proof. But Given 
how much uh, stimulus in particular has been chucked at trying to get economies to recover and, and inflation and nominal growth to pick up, you know, there must be a real chance that we will get some inflation. So, you know, you've got money supply growth in the sort of 30 to 40 percent year on year type number with enormous numbers. Then you've got, you know, fiscal policy in the US. I think if you add up the three packages that have gone through to, to sort of protect the economy from COVID, I think it adds up to something like 24% of GDP. I mean, you're talking mind-boggling numbers. So, you know, if we're going to get inflation, it's going to be as a result of, of some of this, but it's not a, it's not a done deal. So, so that's the, the sort of, you know, question. And, and markets are trying to build in some probability around it. And, and clearly, the more dovish the Fed sounds, the more likely, I guess, it is that some inflation will ultimately come through. And so it's not surprising that yields have backed up a bit, particularly as growth is going to boom. And in the short term, as, you, as we said, inflation is going to pick up. As a broadcaster, of course, I look for these little moments and try to make more of it than maybe is justifiable. In other words, 1.73% at the moment, as I look at my screen, it's not a huge amount. I mean, it's way below the long term average. And it's way below anything that the Fed would consider to be problematic. But on the other hand, two questions here. Number one, when does the yield start to become a problem? Should it continue to rise? At what level do you say, well, then the Fed actually has to have a look and get ahead of the curve? And secondly, at what rate of inflation do they start to become concerned as well? Okay, so on the former, I think they would differentiate between short and long rates. So I think what they don't want to see is the market disbelieving too much that they're going to keep rates on hold. So I think they're more concerned with two-year, three-year rates rather than 10 or 30 year rates, you know, those picking up to some extent is a validation. It's it's saying that the market expects inflation and potentially growth to be stronger over the medium term. And I think both of those things, you know, the Fed would welcome up to a point. I think in terms of the market, the market is sort of looking both at what's priced in in terms of expected inflation and probably doesn't mind if that's picking up to some extent without getting out of control, so sort of low twos, which is where it is now, I think the market potentially is a bit more nervous if we see a significant rise in real yields, although, again, some of that's potentially just validating a, a stronger growth outlook. And then for the Fed, I think, you know, they want average inflation around 2%, and that's looking at what's called PC inflation. So that's the this sort of GDP number, that, uh, inflation number they use for, for consumption rather than CPI, which is what we we normally talk about. Yes. Um, and that's been below 2% for a long time. I mean, it's, it's occasionally got to 2%, just hasn't averaged anywhere close. So I, I think they would be happy if that's in the sort of low twos, I think much above 2.5% on a persistent basis. And it does then start to you know, raise the risk that actually they've overcooked this. And, you know, they're, they're, the risk is that inflation starts to become unanchored and expectations start to pick up. And then they've got a much bigger problem because essentially there's a lot of debt being funded at low interest rates, partly by the Fed through QE. And if they have to tighten policy too too aggressively or too quickly, it potentially upsets the apple cart somewhat. 
Let's move on to the Bank of England now, because it says here, I'm reading from the Guardian, it says here, Bank of England leaves UK interest rates at 0.1% as economic outlook improves. And then you go to the FT, if I go back there, they take a slightly different stance, but I'll come to the FT in a moment. Bank of England, as predicted, no change. Yeah, I mean, I think most central banks, I mean, clearly there's an element of competition here that you know the danger is if you go massively out of line um, against the sort of herd at the moment it has potentially significant implications for currencies for example and and no economy wants you know very rapid appreciation of their currency or or potentially very rapid depreciation because it it complicates the sort of growth and inflation outlook and, uh, 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 and so on so you know, I think they all have been adopting aggressive policy. I guess the issue now is, you know, the sequencing to some extent in terms of, of who might exit first, who might taper QE first, who might raise rates first. And I think that then will come down to, you know, some combination of who's uh, seeing their growth pick up fastest, who's sort of um, uh, uh, um, you know, n- needs to basically res- potentially respond a bit quicker. I think the Fed are keen to change, you know, perceptions about their policies. I said I think there are economies like the like Europe, the ECB, where I think there are big, big questions about their ability to hit an inflation target in the medium term, and so they they're sort of forced to stay loose. And then you've got a number of sort of Anglo-Saxon economies where they probably could move, begin to sort of taper QE at or before the Fed uh, and possibly raise rates at, uh, before the Fed as well. And the UK is, is possibly in that group just because, you know, it, it, it looks as though the exit strategy from COVID lockdown is has been relatively well managed and, and is relatively clear. There are other overhangs as well, of course, in terms of, you know, disruptions to trade from Brexit and so on. But other places, Canada, Australia, and so on. They're, I think they're sort of possibly far further along the process of, of moving slowly, incrementally, glacially towards the exit. Anything in the last 24 hours that has made you at 91 as head of multi-asset income make you think, well, wow, I've got to sit down with the team now and we've got to do a little bit of shifting here and there? Not really. I mean, I think so far the themes that have been playing out for a while now are, are still in place. So, you know, the path of least resistance, particularly at the longer end of yield curves, is towards higher yields. A lot of equity parts of the equity market with the sort of big beneficiaries, the big winners of, you know, the lower for longer, um, low interest rate environment. So things like tech, you know, gold to some extent and dollar weakness potentially. So, you know, some of those surefire winners of last year are, are a little bit more uncertain this year but at the same time you've maybe got you know more potential in some of the sort of cyclical recovery plays some of the value trades which do better in a uh, an environment of of sort of faster nominal growth so i think i think the sort of trends that have been in place for a a few months now are are sort of persisting and likely to persist for a, a bit longer at some point you know they will be sort of fully priced in and and you know, it'll be time to look again. But I, I don't think anything the Fed said was a huge surprise yesterday. You know, it, it's at the margin whether a couple more members, you know, think that rates might go up in 2023 or not out of a committee of 17 or, or however many there are. 
John, thank you so much for your analysis. That's John Stockford, who's the head of multi-asset income at 91 in London. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.